0: My name's Matt. Um, Thank you for joining us tonight as we continue our series, In the Heart of the King. Um, The Heart of the King is based on a book called The Cloud and the Line, which is actually written by a guy called Paul Clayton Gibbs, who is our founding director of the organisation Pays that we work for. And um, we've been working through this series. Uh, A few weeks ago, um, Kai, my team leader, what a dude, um, he kicked us off with... uh, This happened in the morning service as well. Life. There we go. Seek first. So seek first is the beginning, the first principle. We call it the foundational principle. And um, I'm just going to quickly recap the principles we've gone through so far so you you can kind of get where we are. Um, So seek first is this idea. It's based off uh, Matthew 6.33, which is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, where he says, Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. Which is based on this idea that when God's calling us to do something for his kingdom, He's going to do everything He can possibly can to equip us and prepare us for what He wants us to do, which is an amazing principle. And if you can live by that principle, I guarantee you God's going to do amazing things in you and through you. The second principle we looked at was judge and be judged. And uh, Dave shared in this, and it's this idea that we often find ourselves trying to fix other people's problems and trying to change them and, and just yeah sort their life out but God's actually inviting us to look inward and see what he's trying to change in our own hearts. There's promise that as we do, as we embrace what God's trying to teach us, that he's going to change us. And ironically, the growth we find in, in looking at what Jesus is doing in our own life becomes the influence that often helps change those around us and helps us as a community grow closer to God. The third principle was last week, Um, which Tim shared with us, is rubbish in, rubbish out. I affectionately call it the nutri principle. It's this idea of you really do only get out what you put in. Um, When we fill our lives with rubbish, the question is what do we expect to get out? So instead, Jesus invites us. He says, come and fill yourself with me in both like prayer and, and Bible reading, but also acts of service in community, in church, in worship of him. And we'll find that often the things that we want to do will start happening. It also comes with this beautiful truth. And this truth is that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are joined in a spiritual sense with him in that death. And the Bible says that we are dead to sin, which is this reality that when you're dead to something, you're no longer a part of it. You no longer do it. You're no longer associated with it. And um, we've actually been doing a, uh, we do this devotional every week together as a team. And we're looking through Acts 15 this past week. And there's this beautiful speech that Peter gives where he says, that, so the, the Jews have been tossing up, they're like, should the Gentiles come into the church, follow the law? And Peter says, well, they've received the Holy Spirit, which is God's sign that they've already been sealed by him. So why put this yoke on them? Why put this burden on them? And he goes on to say that God has cleansed their hearts, which is a beautiful thing. And this reality, and we find it in Revelation as well, is that right now God views us as holy and blameless before him because we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, not on anything on our part. So those are the three principles we've been going through, and um, as we live by them, we find that they actually really change us and mould us into the image of Christ. Today, I'm talking on use it or lose it. Um, I want to give you like a, a summary kind of at the start. So if you lose me during my sermon, then you'll kind of remember something and be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Um, this principle is simply a statement of how God wants to use you, that God wants you and me and every single person in this room to become strategic for his kingdom. This isn't in a sense that we're some sort of machine, that we're some sort, of, some sort of cog in an assembly line, but in fact what God is inviting us to do is to fill our lives and our heart with stories, small stories and big stories of how we have been a part of the kingdom, how we've added to um, the kingdom. There's this question that Paul, um, Paul Gibbs poses in one of his books where he says, are you the kind of person that God knows if he can just get someone to you, you would faithfully share the gospel and lead them into the love of Christ? I think, that this is, I think it's wonderful. And that's what God's kind of doing. He wants to get each and every single one of us to a point where he, can, he knows. He's like, if I can just get that person to Toby, if I can just get that person to Chris or to Tim or to Jordan, I know they'll share the gospel with them and they would share the love of Christ. And um, there's actually two, two uh, examples I want to use of this because it's amazing. The first one is of Dave. A few weeks ago, Jakaro got baptized here at church. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it for this reason. When Dave turned to Jakaro and he said, How did you become a Christian? Jakaro just turned instead straight into Dave and said, Because of you. I'll never forget that. Like, that's just beautiful. The second example is a friend of mine called Lawrence. I met him once. I met him at this youth convention, and we stayed up till two o'clock talking on the beach. because That's what you do at youth conventions. You actually just sleep in during the morning sessions and go after lunch. <laughs> and um, we, we had this one conversation. And later on, he um, did he interned at his church, and then was working as a youth worker for this Lutheran church, this Lutheran school up at Budrum. Um, and he met this Anglican minister. He says, hey, I really want you to come down and work in our youth ministry in this Anglican church down in Port Macquarie. So he went with him, and then while he was down there, he, he shared this story with me, how he got there with four kids, and in a few months, he's had over 10 kids join his youth ministry, and there was one woman, one woman, one girl, who, this is literally a story. She's never been to church. She's never had anyone in her family even Christian, and she woke up on a Sunday morning and said, I have to go to church today. Three weeks later, she got baptised. Because God knew that if he could just get her to Lawrence, Lawrence would faithfully share the gospel with her and bring her into the love of Christ. And he's 19 years old. So this, this is use it or lose it. And I probably ate into my time a bit, but I just want to share those things with you. Um, before I talk about the principle, every principle is a response to a problem. And our problem today, it's twofold. The first half is that human beings have a love for labels, especially sticky labels. Those labels that when you peel them off, there's a sticky gluey residue left on whatever they used to stick on. We use them on our spice jars and our food bottles. We use them sometimes on other people. And if you can imagine when you're cooking up a storm in the kitchen and you reach in and you grab the Moroccan seasoning, not realizing that's actually put on a paprika jar, you might end up ruining your dish. In the same way, when we, as people, throw labels around, labels as words, words like pathetic or incapable or stupid or ugly, sometimes these labels stick to people. But these labels are not the right labels. They're not the labels that God uses. As I shared before, the labels he used now are things like holy and blameless and beloved. Those are labels that God uses on us. But when we throw these labels around, we can often end up ruining someone's life. The second half of the problem is that the devil is a liar and a deceiver and a bunch of other words I can't use in a church. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say that he is the father of lies and the great deceiver, just to add emphasis to those two things. So he'll use anything he can possibly do to sow misconceptions and lies into our life. They'll force us into fear and cause us to do something similar to what God's calling us to do, but not what he's called us to do. And though it might be similar, it can be the difference between being effective and ineffective for his kingdom. He's no, he knows he's lost. He knows that he can't stop the Father from advancing his kingdom and, and bringing people into his love. But what he can do is he can trick Christians into becoming lukewarm and becoming ineffective for his kingdom. I'm going to use an example. Um, imagine God said to you, I want you to go straight ahead. Now the devil, he's smart. He's not stupid, he's smart. He's not going to say, oh no, go that way or "or just stop, don't do anything because we know what God's called us to do. Instead he says, you know what, that looks a bit hard. It's probably going to cost you a bit. Maybe you should just go a little bit to the right. It's, it's, it's similar, it's close, but it's not as hard and it won't cost you as much. And sometimes when we give into to fear, we... we fall into it. And we go, okay, yeah, that yeah, looks similar. I'll go that way. But what we see is that as we go further and further down this path that we've chosen, we realise that the further we go, the further and further we come apart from God's vision and God's heart for us. So the passage I'm going to be preaching out of tonight, oh, there's you go, degrees. The passage I'm preaching on is the parable of the talents, which is Matthew 25. It comes straight after uh, the ten virgins or the wise and foolish virgins. And it, the chapter begins with a statement where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like. And I'm going to summarise this, this story for you very quickly. Um, there was a master, he was going away into a far land, so he called three servants in. And he, to each of them he gave a certain amount of talents, commanding them to go out and invest them and use them. To the first he gave five, to the first he gave two, and to the third servant he gave one talent. So when he came back, he called his servants into him. And the first who had both gone out and both doubled, respectively, what were given. The first had 10 and the second had four. And the servant praised them. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And essentially said, because you have proved yourself worthy, I'm going to let you keep what you've earned. And I'm going to give you authority over that too. And the third servant comes in. And he doesn't even just say like, so the third servant, sorry, he went out and buried his talent. And when he came back, he obviously dug it up and brought it back in. And now he didn't, he didn't just say, oh, sorry, Master, I didn't make any money for you. He just begins to defend himself. And he says stuff like this. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. And so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent. Here's your talent back. And the Master, he, he gets angry to me. He, he says, you're a lazy and, and a wicked servant. He says, take that talent from him. and Give it to the first. And cast this one out of my sight. And then he later states um, what will be our, our principle. We'll look at that in a second. So before I dive into the principle, I want to talk about three major misconceptions that we can learn from this third servant, that we can also learn the devil's tactic and what he's going to try to do to convince us um, away from God's plan. So the first misconception is our understanding of who God is. The third servant said, I need you to be a hard man, I was afraid. And the reality of this statement is that fear will make you compromise. See, a deceived person will say, if God is a hard man, if he is a hard master, then I'll do nothing out of fear of failure. I'll do nothing out of fear of angering him and making him upset. But we know the reality. Again, holy, blameless, beloved, is what he calls us. God knows the future. He knows the change inside of you and what you're capable of doing already. So nothing you do will surprise him. He's not like our our earthly parents who love us so much but sometimes get disappointed. God can't be disappointed of what he already knows. He loves us so much. So a person who knows God's heart will instead say, if God is a hard man, then I'll do everything I possibly can to honour him with everything he's given me. So I don't want to give him too much airtime, but I want to touch on this. Satan is his name, but the devil is his title. And this title means accuser of the brethren. What the devil does, he goes before God day and night and he accuses you and me of everything he possibly can, throwing as many sticky labels as he can find to convince us that we've lost the right to become strategic for God's kingdom. He'll do everything he possibly can to make you stagnate, to make you stand still, to lie low and to compromise on God's dream for you. This is the second misconception. What God has given us, the third servant, he gave one talent. But my question for you is, what has God given you? And more importantly, like the third servant, what has he given us that we have undervalued? What has he given us that we've underestimated? What has he given us that we've actually underappreciated? What is one talent? I used to think it was like a coin, like a denarii that's also mentioned in the gospels or like a penny. But a talent is actually not even a unit of currency, it's a unit of weight. And every time it's used, it's always in reference to 50 kilograms of weight. And when it's used in in terms of money or currency, like in this parable, unless otherwise specified, it always means gold. So this guy was given one talent of gold. How much is that? Well, one kilogram is worth $55,070.35. So 50 kilograms, will be worth $2,753,517.50. And so I I use this already. Hopefully you guys will laugh at it. But if the pastors and the elders came up to me after this service and said, hey, Matt, we believe in you and we want you to build our church. Here's $2.75 million. I'm not up myself and I'm not smug, but I don't think I'd find a hard time of doing that. I'd probably go buy a billboard in the M1 and just advertise rivers and hope people come in. (laughs) But we can look at this in a second way. A talent is also worth 60 miners, and one miner is worth three months' wage. So one talent would be equal to 15 years' wage. And my question to you would be, whatever career you you have, how much could you achieve if someone gave you a secure 15 years permanent full-time? How much could you achieve in that job, in that position? What if someone came to you and said, I'm going to give you 15 years of extra life where you'd still be fit and healthy because that would be great. But what could you achieve? And so This is is a reality um, that really struck me when I was reading through this principle in the book. And it's that whether or not God says on that final day, well done, my good and faithful servant, has nothing to do with whether or not other people have more or less than you. Whether God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, is dependent on one thing, and that's our faithfulness. We don't have to be rock stars or superstars. We don't have to be grand stage preachers or anything of the like. We can be the most average person in the world and have the God Almighty say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. The third misconception is this, whose talent is this? It is. He entrusted his talents. You see, this, this talent, what the third sentence was given, was the masters and it never ceased to be the masters. But sometimes we can, we can treat what we have as if it belongs to us. I only want to share a personal example with this. Um, when I grew up, I had an incredibly bad stutter, um, to the point where I get stuck on a word for maybe five to ten seconds. I had a lisp for some words. When I begin a sentence with like a, W sound, I was going to say it, but it would be embarrassing. Um, say, for example, if I was going to ask a question, who's coming tonight, it might be something like this. Who's coming tonight? And sometimes it would go longer, and it's just, it was embarrassing to me. I often mumbled, and sometimes, like all Australians, I blend my words together. But it's to the point where sometimes even Australians don't understand me. And I find it so funny to the point that God then says, hey Matt, I'd love you to come and serve alongside three Germans for 12 months. <laughs> I mean, he's wise though. He's wise. Um, but then all of a sudden, along, along the way, my story, I just literally all of a sudden was able to speak publicly to the point where my closest childhood friends would say, dude, when you get up and speak, like you're just a different person. Like you sound different. Like I don't even recognise you. Do you swap when you go behind stage or something to someone else? Um, but, I would, I would be an absolute fool if I begin to think that my ability to speak publicly was for me. It's not for me. It was given to me by God for you, for everyone who will, I don't know, get to hear me. I don't say it in a, in a smug way, but I say it in the sense that we've all been given gifts, every single one of us. Big gifts and small gifts, but they're all given to us from the King. And, and the, the thing is, is, if we allow fear to compromise us and we don't use our gifts that we've been given, it's not us who miss out. It's those who are called to love and to serve. Those who need to hear about Jesus, those people will miss out from us. So, enough of the bad stuff. This is the principle. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. For everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Yes, I did practice this. <laughs> to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Yes, I did use that in the morning service. Thank you, Aaron. It, it, they laughed, so I used it again. Um, so this is, this is where we get our principle from, use it or lose it. Um, But the question is like, it doesn't really make sense, it didn't make sense to me at least, um, when I first read it. But we find our answer, like what do they have or not have? We find our answer is is in the second sentence. Whoever does not have, even what they have, we're taken away from them. To have something taken away from you, you need to have something in the first place. So they clearly have something. So what do they not have? Of all the principles we have, there's one underlying theme, one cornerstone block, one keystone, that if you take it away, the whole arch comes collapsing down. And that one thing is faithfulness. It's simply faithfulness. If we do not have faithfulness, then what we have will be taken away and given to someone who is faithful. But if we are faithful, God will give us more, knowing that we will be faithful with it. So use it or lose it is commonly known as the focal principle. It focuses on what we do in the here and now. So Jesus taught many things. Jesus taught the kingdom of God and the coming rule that would never cease. He taught the kind of people that would inhabit such a kingdom and such a rule. He taught through stories and parables and lessons. But did you know there's one thing that he actually never preached? What did Jesus never preach? Beliefs. Now, I'm going to explain this a little bit because you might be a little bit confused. Um, we get this statement here in Matthew 4. Jesus went all throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So it's important to note that in the original Greek, the words for preaching and teaching are different. Preaching is this word Caruso and it means to proclaim a message. But teaching is this word didasko, which means to Unpack that proclamation. Why is this important? You see, Jesus, Jesus emphasised behaviour more than he emphasised beliefs. He's more interested in our behaviour than in our beliefs. And that might be a bit of a controversial statement, and you might not agree with it. But help me, let me just help you to um, get what I mean. See, Jesus works to shape a community that demonstrates the truth, not simply one that knows the truth, Jesus aims to create a community that displays God's glory, not to simply educate us about it. Jesus emphasised good news and not simply good education. You see, if we have right beliefs, but we don't have right behaviour, what is that? It's what the Bible calls a lukewarm Christian. And if if you want to know what God feels about lukewarm Christians, you can find it in Revelation. And what I want to talk about, and why I'm bringing this up, is that, If we, through our behaviour, alienate those who were called to love, then you can preach the best gospel presentation you've ever done in your entire life, and it falls on deaf ears. And so you could have not the right beliefs, not great grammar, but you could have the right behaviour, and that's okay, but what God's really aiming for is that we have the right beliefs with the right behaviour. He wants us to have the right beliefs and the right behaviour. So do we want to do something special or just believe something special? Let's talk about the line in the cloud, which is what the book's all about. On the line we have the tried and tested ways of religion. On one side we have a tick. The tick is, how much do I need to do in order to get something from you or in order to be blessed? On the other hand, it's how far can I go before I do something wrong that I have to face a consequence or a, some sort of punishment? We live between these two extremes, and in, this, in the principle of use it or lose it, our two extremes are effort over opportunity. People who live on the line are waiting for the opportunity to be worth the effort. But God invites us instead to live in his presence, which is represented by the cloud. The cloud in the Bible represents many things. It's the cloud that leads the Israelites through the desert, the cloud that fills the temple, the cloud that descends on the mount as Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. It's his presence and he wants to invite us to come into that. You see, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Satan, the devil. (laughs) The devil has swapped a significant label. He's caused us to overvalue beliefs and undervalue behaviour. But what God wants each and every single one of us to know is that the kingdom does not need people who live their lives in argument for God, but the kingdom needs people whose lives are the argument for God. I'll say it again. The kingdom needs people, the kingdom doesn't need people who live their lives in argument for God, but the kingdom needs people whose lives are the argument of God. And this is why, this is why behavior is so important. So the difference between the the line dwellers and the cloud dwellers is simply perspective. But that perspective, though it might be similar, is the difference between being effective and ineffective. We find that in these questions. See, a line dweller, when it comes to serving God, they're enticed by their questions. What great thing can you give me to do now? What great thing can you give me that is worth doing great? What great thing can you give me that would make me seen as great? Whereas a person who seeks after God's own heart or is instead encouraged by his questions. Will you give me the little you think you have? Will you see the greatness in me that make your little go a long way? Will you risk the little you have on those who may have even less? You see, cloud dwellers cloud dwellers don't have a vision of a vision. They don't have a vision of could be's or maybe's they have a vision of God. They have a vision of his ability to make a lot out of a little. They see his ability to make basketfuls of leftovers out of a bit of bread and a couple of fish. They don't deal in fantasy, but cloud dwellers take hold of reality and what God has given them. So this this principle isn't simply a, a religious statement. Don't think I'm trying to say, like, this is what you have to do, but instead it's a way of living. All these principles are given to us in the Gospels so that if we live by them, we will slowly be changed and morphed and brought into the likeness of Jesus to know his love more, to know his heart more. And it comes with a promise. Can you envision a life like this? A life where you do not compete in a race that others urge you to join, but you instead complete for him the race that he set before you knowing that everything you need, he will give you to complete the task. A life where you do not rely on luck, changing your mind constantly and guessing your next move, but you instead focus on the task in front of you, knowing that God will give God your next step. A life where you do not flitter away your thinking on foolish disputes, useless contentions and unprofitable arguments, but faithfully act on what what you know is true, certain that the king will prove his existence through your experience, and what a life of purpose that would be. This is what Jesus wants to invite us on. He wants us to dig deeper and further into his love and his majesty and his wonder. See, we live a life with a promise, and this promise is, if you are faithful with what I've already given you, I will give you more. For we do not live by faith, but we live by No, I said that in the morning service. We live by faith and not by fate. No worries. So the the problem is that the devil is a liar and a deceiver. He uses misconceptions to make us compromise on God's dream for us. He tricks us into doing something similar, something that could be the difference between being effective and ineffective for the kingdom of God. The principle is, if we are faithful with the little we have, more will be given If we have a vision of God and not of a vision, he'll equip us to become strategic for him. The promise is, as we seek first after the kingdom, everything we need will be provided for us, no longer living by guesswork and speculation, but living on the promises of God's faithfulness. It's good stuff. The band can come up. And then I'm going to pray. Cool. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are just so in wonder and in awe of your goodness to us, of your greatness and your wonder. Lord, we pray that we'd come to know you more. We would pray that we become more aware of your spirit and what you're looking to do in us and through us. Lord, I really pray that you'd reveal to us the gifts that you've already given and I ask that you'd help us to become faithful, that we'd use those gifts to the full extent, that our lives become full of stories of small victories and big victories that we can be a part of for your kingdom. And Father, I pray that as Rivers Church of Christ continues to grow in its knowledge of you, I pray that you'd equip us to go, to go out into the world, to become an influence for you, to become a light for you in a world that every day seems to get a little bit darker. I pray that you'd guide us through this world that seems to become a little bit more hostile with every passing day that if persecution comes jesus i pray that our love would increase i pray that our love for each other and for those around us and those in the community would grow god i just thank you so much for who you are that you are a good god and a good father and i pray you continue to show us your love and in all these things we pray in your holy and wonderful name Amen.